Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. It was about 15 years ago that uh, Judy and I decided to sell our house, which was at the old church location right off of Capitol Drive. It was there that we, our kids grew up. They were able to ride their bikes to school. Uh, but now they had uh, left the nest. They were older. And we wanted to build this empty nester home and downsize. At least that was the goal in the beginning. And so we found a piece of land on a farm, uh, the Greasebach 40. If some of you know Bill Greasebach, and he was gracious enough to sell me some of his land there on the farm. And so we got involved for the first time ever in building a home. And it was a new, exciting experience for us. Uh, you know, if it, when a house is being built, there's just four walls there. When they start to build, it looks pretty cold and empty. And uh, when the house is under construction and we would go visit it, and there would be, it was almost like a prison cell. I mean, it would, there wasn't much to it. But then, of course, little by little, it takes shape. And it becomes something attractive and inviting. And then you find someone who's good with colors or you hire an interior decorator. The best investment we ever made. We hired a good one. And she came in and you just turn this person loose and everything changes dramatically. I mean, what a difference. They can take a cold and dark room and make it into a place of warmth and color and friendliness and quiet. Now look up here. God wants to do that for you. God wants to renovate your inner space your inner life. You know, the Bible uses as a metaphor that uh, we're a house in some way, right? It says we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk to you today about your inner room. He wants to turn that inner room into a place of warmth and color and friendliness and quiet. All of us need that kind of renovation. All of us. In fact, have you ever thought about how much time and money we spend each year maintaining just the space on the outside, the space around us, in order to keep it pleasant and in order? There's been a lot of research recently on colors. There has been, really, for the last 30 or 40 years, I've been reading articles. Everybody has a color. Do you know this? They, color, they call it your color personality. I've always loved yellow. I have yellow sweatshirts, and I had a yellow truck for a long time. I've got yellow initially, or I've got a yellow pen. I love yellow. And they say, when I found out about this, that uh, that has something to do, a lot of people who speak publicly uh, have yellow, uh, people who are in, in, the, in the public view, uh, people who are, who, who are very uh, disciplined and uh, feel responsible. Everybody has a color. So if you go to a party, if you go to a New Year's Eve party, 
and you see a bunch of people in the corner, and they're whispering, and they're pointing at you. You know what they're saying? He's a winter. He's a, he doesn't have his collar on. That's what they're going to say about you tonight. We all got a color. All of, us, all of that tells us that we spend a lot of money and a lot of time worrying about the outside. The truth of the matter is, is that most of us, though, live most of our lives on the inside, 24 hours a day. And that place needs to be in order. That, need, that place needs to be beautiful and quiet and peace and, and have color to it. The inside, even more than the outside, is what is important. God wants to renovate that space so it's a good place for you, a healthy place so that you can grow and experience life to the fullest. So that's what I'm going to call you to today, to consider your inner room. Three ideas. Three ideas I want to give to you. Number one is the challenge of the inner room. The challenge of the inner room. The second is the cleaning of the inner room. And thirdly, the consecrating of the inner room. The challenge, the cleaning, and the consecrating. First, let's talk about the challenge of your inner room. Uh, Judy and I, we live in a place called Center, Wisconsin. I've never checked this out, but I'm guessing that they came up with the name because it's the center of the universe. That's what I'm guessing they came up. So we live in the center of the universe in center of Wisconsin. And that's where my home was built. But actually, that's not where I live most of the time. Because I travel a lot. And most of my life, I live within my inner room, my soul. That never goes away. I could be in Africa. I could be in Asia. I could be in Europe. And that's where I live. Most of my life is in my inner room. So the challenge is, how much time will I spend and invest in arranging that inner space as opposed to everything else? I live most of my time there. What about you? Do you see your inner life as the most important thing to arrange that space rather than investing all on the outside? That can be a challenge. How do people handle a challenge? Well, I think some people just flat out ignore it. That's right. They live their lives totally on the outside. They convince themselves that their inner life, their inner world is not that important. So they ignore it. And they try and fill that space with outside, with material things. And they plow through life trying to ignore the fact that on the inside it's a mess. There's moral filth there. It's never been cleaned up. There's guilt there that's never been cleaned up. It's not in order, and it needs to be cleaned up. But what they do is they just focus on the outside. That's why, uh, that's why we have a, a culture of materialism. Materialism is living your life as the only reality that I need to be concerned about. I had a roommate after I graduated college, both of us uh, met at a company, and we said uh, we were both looking for a place to live, and we said, let's, uh, let's get an apartment, and we'll get a place near the train stop. We lived in New Jersey and worked in New York City, so we said, let's uh, get a place together. 
So we did, and you know, you don't really know somebody unless you work with them every day, which I did not work with him, and so, or you live with them. So we got an apartment near the train station, and um, he came from a very, uh, from a wealthy background, and he was very traditional, but he was always very sharply dressed, latest fashion. And we would go to work together in New York, and my friend would look so sharp People looked at this guy and they say he walked out of a GQ magazine. I mean, what a sharp dresser. What an orderly person. They didn't have a clue. What they didn't realize was how this guy lived. Our apartment, he was like a slob. Bottle caps all over his room, uh, clothes everywhere. In fact, I, I always knew where he was on Sunday because it, literally he would read the Sunday paper and drop the sections along the way, wherever he walked, and just leave them on the floor. It's amazing that you and I can put up such a front sometimes on the outside, taking care of every little detail on the outside. But the reality is that we live our lives really on the inside. And on the inside, it can be an absolute mess. God wants to put that back together for you. But it can be challenging. James, in his epistle, describes this challenge. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor, he's talking about on the inside, Bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Can you see the contrast there in decorating the inside of your inner room? Can you see the inner room of a person's life? How some people, their inner rooms are full of disorder like it describes, while other people, their inner room is full of peace. One person's inner life has things like jealousy and disorder and envy and earthly goals, unspiritual, maybe even demonic. While other persons' lives, are, they're showing, they're considerate, they're loving, they're full of mercy, they're honest, they're sincere. Pastor, that's what I want. I want that kind of inner life. Well, if you want that kind of inner life, then we got to get to the second part, which is the cleansing of the inner room. Let's talk about the cleansing of the inner room. One of the things that happens when someone feels it's time to put their inner room in order is called what the, what the theologians call conviction of sin. Let me tell you what that happens. First of all, you have to understand this is something that God does. You don't do it. God does it. God, the Holy Spirit, begins to open up your eyes to what it's really like on the inside of your life. The Holy Spirit does it. And he begins to tell you not only, he not only opens up your eyes to what's reality there, he begins to tell you it needs to be cleaned up. 
John chapter 16, verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage I'm leaving, Jesus says, for if I do not believe the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. All that is saying is I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit when I leave physically from the earth and the Holy Spirit will go to people and he'll open up their eyes to the sin that's going on the inside. You see, our natural tendency is to ignore our sin. We want to ignore it. We don't want to face it. What's the first thing Adam and Eve did? They hid. They tried to hide from God. And, and you begin to talk to yourself. Do you realize you talk to yourself a lot? You talk to yourself all the time. And this is, what, this is what the person is trying to do who's trying to ignore their sin. Look, I'm okay. I, I, I obey the important rules. I'm a good person. So you plow on in life. Very little changes on the inside. There's guilt there. There's shame there. It's never been addressed. It's a mess. The beginning, the beginning to seeing your inner room cleanse is to be honest of what God is now trying to tell you and show you. How does that happen? It comes through reading scripture maybe, or it comes through a sermon like this where the word of God is used. It always comes through the word of God, but you know, God is dealing with me. Something is wrong with my relationship with him, and I know it. My inner life is really not what it ought to be. I see it clearly. Pause button. I want to warn you of something here. It is a sad day when a person tries to clean up that mess themselves because it can't be done. You cannot clean up your inner room. Only God can. He's the only one that can sweep it clean. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. When we were utterly, what's the word? You tell me. Helpless. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We're helpless. The, the, the scripture says we're spiritually dead. Unable to pick up the signals. A dead person can't make themselves alive. That's what born again is all about. That's what the gospel's about, John chapter three. Flesh gives birth to flesh. You're born once physically. But spirit, capital S, gives birth to spirit, small s. God, the Holy Spirit, must give birth to your earthly spirit, to your spirit that lives within you. You should not be surprised at me saying, Jesus said, you must be born again. You must experience at some point a spiritual birth from above. That happens when you allow God to clean out the inner room of your life. When you say, I admit, Lord, it's not in order. I've ignored this mess. I can't clean it out. Maybe some of you have tried. I tried. Uh, I, I remember I was 24 years old when God started to work in my life. I was working in New York City. I was, I, was, I was a pagan. I was living the basic pagan life. I don't even have to go into details. What an average single male does at 24 that's godless. 
religious. I'm going to church every Sunday, but godless in the way I live, pagan. And so I, got, I read the Bible for the first time. I started going to a Bible church. I'm hearing sermons. I'm feeling convicted for my sin. I know God's opening up my eyes. It's not clean on the inside, Dennis. Something needs to happen. So what did I try and do? I said, I'm going to clean it up. I'm not going to do what I do at those parties. I'm not going to do what I do on the weekends. And I might get victory here or there, but then I would fall on my face again. I had no power. I can't clean up that mess. What Jesus wants us to do is surrender. Surrender. Let him do the cleaning. He'll do it. He'll clean your inner room. It happens when you invite Jesus Christ to come in to clean and forgive you. There's a verse in Revelation, Jesus speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. What's he talking about? He's knocking on the door of your heart. And he's saying, let me in and I will come in and I will fellowship with that person. I'll commune with that person. I'll bring peace there. Let me into your inner life. I remember when I was a kid, when uh, our kids were small, Judy went off to a women's retreat and she gave me the kids for the weekend. I think Brian was three years old, Christina was a year and a half, and I did the Mr. Mom thing. And for those of you men that have been in those situations, you know what I'm talking about. She left at noon by two o'clock, I was exhausted. The place, the house looked like a missile hit it. I put wrong things in the microwave, which is not a good thing. And by Saturday night, all my gauges were low from cleaning, from changing, from feeding, from fighting, from refereeing. And the only moment I had for peace was bath time. Do you know what it's like to thank God for Mr. Bubble? And even bath time wasn't good because the two kids kept trying to get into the bath with me. Get out of here. I need some time. Some of you feel like that. You're exhausted. You've been, try you've been trying. You're working so hard to clean up the inside, the inner room, and it only gets more messy. You've got to let Jesus clean it up. And then let me tell you what happens after he cleans it up. He does something else. He consecrates the inner room. Wow. He consecrated. He actually makes the inside of you holy. He consecrates it. And, and, and what happens? You know what the word, if you go to Webster and you look up consecration, here's what it's going to say. Dedicating everything to a single purpose or person. Dedicating everything to a single purpose or person. So what does God does? After, allow, after you allow him to come in and clean the inner room, he leaves the Holy Spirit there. He deposits inside of you the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit, not you, it's the Holy Spirit that consecrates your inner room so that you now have an, a desire he gives you a desire to dedicate everything to God. I, I, I have people all the time who say, I don't want to be born again. Why? Because I'll have to give up too many things. You don't understand. 
You surrender your life to Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit, and he motivates you to put stuff aside. You don't do it. Don't worry about that. He consecrates you. God does it, not you. Luke chapter 14, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, look at this. You must, by comparison, hate everybody else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't, don't begin unless you count the cost. For who would begin the construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everybody would laugh at you. They'd say, there's the person who started the building, couldn't afford to finish it. Or what about a king who goes out to war, and another king, without first sitting down with the counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 can defeat the army of 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, He'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. You cannot become my disciple, Jesus said, without giving up, what's the word? Everything you own. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's the deal. You want to be my follower? We're going to rearrange, not some, all of your priorities. Family, they come after me. Job, they come after me. Hobbies, they come after me. In fact, don't even try to be my disciple if you can't make that kind of commitment. I must be number one. I must be Lord of all. Total consecration. If you want to find your life, you got to be willing to lose it. That's the deal. Think about it before you decide to follow me. I remember uh, uh, an evangelist named Becky Pipper. She came to speak to a bunch of us seminarians. And she, 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 what she does is she goes into, she goes into universities. And uh, she builds relationships with young women there who are students and tries to point them to Jesus. And she said, I was, I was doing some Bible study with a, a, gir a girl, very common today, of course, Many people, unfortunately, even in the church are doing this. They live together before they get married. It's wrong. I don't care how much society accepts it. You know in your heart it's wrong. And this was happening with this girl. She was living with a guy, and she goes, oh, I want to follow Jesus. I, I, Becky, you make Jesus so real to me. I want to follow him. And Becky knew she was living with a guy. She said, listen to me. I want you to go back to your room. Think about what it means to follow Jesus, because if you decide to follow Jesus, the very thing, first thing he's going to put his finger on is that relationship and say, it's got to go. You got to separate. You can't live together. You can't live in sin before marriage. Some people wouldn't do that. I want to give my life to Jesus. Okay, come on, let's go. Let's pray the prayer. Becky was doing it right. Count the cost. When I was in seventh grade, I had to make a model of a Civil War scene, school assignment. You know the project I'm talking about. You want to nail it because all the other parents are going to see it because it's going to be outside in the hallway at the school. So I got a bunch of 
Civil War toy soldiers. I bought that. I bought a piece of plywood, and there I am on the kitchen table trying to do this thing, and it's a disaster. My fort looked like a spaceship. It was disastrous. It was pathetic. And so I'm sitting there. I'm all discouraged. It's a mess. I don't know if you've ever felt that way about your life, but that's what my life was then. It was a, to it was a total mess. Everything wasn't right. Who's passing by but my father? Now, my father was an incredibly gifted man. And, but one of the things he was gifted in is woodworking. He would make, he, he did a lot of mangers, you know. He would darken the wood. He was amazing. And he walks into the kitchen, and he looks at the table, and he sees my project. And I remember all he said was, wow. And then he looked at me, and he said, hey, Dennis, how about we start over? And this time, I'll help you. My dad didn't say, is that what you've made? Is that the best you can do? That's awful. Look at the mess you created. He didn't put me down. He said, Dennis, let's start over. And this time, I'll help you. And let me tell you something. When my dad got done with that thing, that was amazing. Because my dad was good. 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew that you would be sitting in this auditorium or watching this service on this day so you could hear this. I care about you. You matter to me, and I love you. And I know your life story. I've seen it all. And you know what? We can start over. And this time, I'll help you. If you will trust me. If you will let me do the renovation. I can make your life beautiful. Let him clean your inner room. Let him rearrange everything so it is consecrated to him. With God, it's never too late to start over. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, I'm going to leave an opportunity now of quiet time because I believe there's some people that you're doing important business with right now. Just you and them. And you are calling them out on this day at this moment to surrender everything to you. And I pray, God, they will pray that simple prayer to you. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done. I want you to come in to my inner room and clean it up. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for paying the penalty for that sin. 
And I ask you, God, from this moment on, to be the king and the Lord and the master of my life. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I, I don't know what all of this means, but I trust you. And from this moment on, from this moment on, I belong to you and to you alone. Oh, God, I know. Those you have prepared for this moment, you will seal them with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that you give us not just a second chance. You give us a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. You constantly are looking for the lost. Now, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And God's people said, amen. God bless you.